Welcome to the Policy Viz Podcast. I am your host, John Schwabish. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited for my guest today, Mikio Yuk from BI Brains. Mikio, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I am super excited. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You are sort of a little bit of a departure from my uh, previous guests because most of my previous guests and I, um, we've actually like hugged and we're all like really good friends and you and I have just been emailing and tweeting each other for like the last month so I'm very excited to have you on the show we've got lots of great stuff to talk about so let's just get right to it so for those of you who don't know Miko you probably should she um, she is probably a top-notch keynoter on uh, dashboard design all over the world Uh, you've spoken at what over 30 countries in the last few years and counting (laughs) <laughs> and counting. Well, that's good. That's good to be counting. Okay. She published a data visualization for dummies book last year. Um, her uh, firm, BI Brains, that she co-founded and is currently partner, is a top um, business intelligence uh, dashboard firm and dashboard training uh, firm. Yes. Um, all lots of great stuff. So I want to jump right into it. Let's first talk about the book, um, Data Visualization for Dummies. So obviously there's lots of books about data visualization. Um, Tell me about the sort of overarching message that you have in this book. So it's interesting. Well, first of all, John, I'll hug you. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I'm coming to Atlanta. Yeah, get I'll hug, hug you. So right, I just cool. want to get that okay. clear. Okay. Um, so Data Viz for Dummies, and I call it Data Viz, essentially it was interesting because Wiley came to me to write the book, and I think they were a little bit shocked because my overall message, which we had a little bit of a debate about, was the fact that people are too hooked on pretty charts and they're not focused enough on what is actually going in to the charts. So the overlying theme of the book versus being, and I told them, I said, look, if I got to build another book about what pretty charts to use, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I said, no, if you want a book about what to put in the charts, I'm happy to do that. So believe it or not, the book is focused more around a method of determining what to measure versus how it will look. Right. So yeah, so it's not about the pop and making something pop, making something pretty. It's about what the content is and what's going into it. Absolutely. I mean, you know this. There's there's already enough school of thoughts around what to put in, right? We have heat chart in, Rolf heat chart in Germany. We have Stephen Few. We have Edward Tufte. I mean, there's a lot of school of thoughts around the world on that. And I think there's too little focus on what you should be measuring. And is the book focused on, do you make a distinction between data visualization for internal use, so we're going to talk about your dashboard work in a little bit, but do you talk about, is, it, is there a distinction, do you make a distinction between DataViz for internal use versus external publications? No, being with Wiley and it being dummies, it's yeah. literally built for the lowest denominator, and that's no, no offense if people have read it, it's not built for dumb people, but right. they really dumb it down, I, I wish it could have, we talked yeah. about that, but it was thrown out. Wow, interesting. And so do you have a philosophy on an approach to creating an effective visualization? Absolutely. That's what we teach in our academy. But um, if you want me to kind of high level it, we have a very simple approach. So one of the things that we do and is we focus first on the message. And I'm trying to avoid the three letter word KPI. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying not to say it. KPI and metrics. But we focus on the what to measure first and the messaging and the story. Mm -hmm. So we have a way that we build our dashboards today where we focus on telling a four part story. The first part is focused on the current state and answering the question of where are you today. The second part is focused on the trends and looking at how did you get here. The third part is focused on the forecast, which explains where you're going to end up. And the fourth part is focused on the what if, which will explain where, you know, what do you need to change to hit your goals? 
So we literally take those four questions and we answer them and mm-hmm. then we storyboard it out and that's and then the last thing we do is pick pretty charts. Nice. Yes. And is it tool so Unfortunately, I have not yet had a chance to read the whole book. It's sitting on my desk in the... Tool agnostic. Tool agnostic. Okay. All right. Good. Absolutely. Now, so, okay. So let's, let's move into dashboards because we're going we're gonna to bring in the, in the data viz, I think, into the dashboard design. So maybe... Let, let's start. Let me ask you to, to just start. Maybe you could describe what BI Brains does, what your philosophy is there, um, and what your approach is to creating really good dashboards. So our BI Brains came about as a result of a community that we started around a tool called Excelsius, which was owned by Business Objects, which SAP now owns. Um, I started the blog on my 25th birthday. I remember it because I wanted to find other people that are like myself. It was back in the days when blog when um, Blogger was a good place to blog, if that helps you a little bit, way back. And essentially, the philosophy of BI Brains is when we put the call out there around, hello, does anybody like dashboards? A lot of executives of big companies answer that call. (laughs) And I was very shocking. And we kept hearing the same thing, which was, I have this fantastic IT department. And unfortunately, all I'm getting is data and rows. I need something quick. I need something fast. And this was before the iPhone days. So the philosophy around BI Brains is that we create experiences from data that people enjoy and love. Mm -hmm. It's about the experience for us. And our... So... When I talk to clients and they show me a table and they say, this is what our manager likes. It's a table. It's 90 columns by 90 rows. And every week we provide this 20 pages of tables and our managers, we know it's terrible, and our managers like to go to this cell. And I always say, well, what about this other cell that they're not paying attention to? Maybe that's a big deal. Do you, uh, those are stories that you sort of hear. And, wh- and if you do, how do you, how do you change, get people to change that behavior and change that method? So one thing that we find is the word change by itself is a four-letter word in most organizations. So the first thing that we do is we never say the word change. (laughs) That's the first thing. That um, physically, people just shut down when you tell them to change. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we tend to focus on is when we see these type of silos or one-way thinking, we tend to try to focus on taking people through the exercises of let's start to build some pictures and let's see if you can understand what we're saying. Okay, and when we because a lot of what we find is the reason why people don't draw John is they're just afraid that their drawings are too ugly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's an intimidation that oh gosh, if I put up my chicken scratch, everybody's gonna go running for the hills, and they don't understand that. Think about it, John. You have kids. You have beautiful kids. I assume your daughter has made something that aesthetically may not have been the best. (laughs) But there was a stick figure of mommy and daddy. Daddy was way too short. Mommy was way too tall. Her head's big. Your head's small. (laughs) With two kids on the bottom. Unrecognizable. And you probably adore it and have it on your frame. They are are pretty good. I won't lie to you. They're pretty good drawings. And in your eyes, they're amazing. Because it's not the fact that it's not straight. It's not colored. You understand the sentiment. And you understand what she was trying to communicate. That's the way people have to think about pictures. You have to think about grade school and go back to the fact of focusing on the message versus how pretty it is. Yeah. Actually, right now she's making data visualizations for me. So I, I, now, I now wake up with bar charts. Uh, I love it. On my desk. It's, it's pretty nice. It's, it's I a love pretty it. good day. So when you are asking, encouraging people to think about stories. Yes. Telling stories with dashboards. Is that a different is that a different skill set or is it a different approach than if you are creating a one-off graph or creating an infographic or is it all sort of just the same about telling stories? 
No, absolutely. When you're creating, especially when you're creating something like a dashboard, typically separates itself from a data discovery tool in the in the fact that you're creating something that kind of stays. It's not, it's not not necessarily static, but it's something that you're using to look at again and again. Now, one big pitfall that we see with dashboards for those people who are doing it, and you need to listen to this because I said it and it went viral. The biggest problem with dashboards when people do figure out how to create them is they can't get beyond the trend. They go into this loop of only doing monitoring and they never actually add action to the data. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know I jumped ahead a little bit, but I want to jump in there because I know you have yeah. a sophisticated audience. And so one of the biggest things, once people figure out, oh, I got to put a couple of charts on the screen and tell this story. Let's say they use my four part story. The next problem is all they do is show a bunch of data that showed me how I got here, but it doesn't show me what I'm going to do next. Yeah. So one of our biggest pushes is to ask people to get beyond the trend. And that goes back to what you were saying. What's wrong with those 19 to 20 page reports? Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? I'm looking at a number that tells me how I got here. Where's the information that's going to tell me what I need to do to fix my problems? That's where the world is headed. And what's the balance between, for dashboards specifically, what's the balance between the detailed sort of table approach with lots of numbers that I can dig into and the visualizations, you you know, what's what is there? Do you have sort of a ba- a philosophy on the balance? Yeah, or is it- it's not a philosophy. It's very quick. Mm-hmm. The average human attention span is what five to eight seconds. Yeah. With your kids and your generation, they're going to be about two to three seconds. Yeah. I tell people two to three clicks and it's over. Right. <laughs> the drill to China has officially ended when iPad started. Okay. And so I tell people I limit it to clicks right now. It's Mm -hmm. two to three clicks to get the answer. And that's a lot, by the way. But in the world we're in with these, all these tools, two to three clicks, otherwise you're in dinosaur age. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it, John. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you went on Google? uh, A few minutes ago. Okay. Did you get to page two? No. Of course I didn't get to page two. Why? If If I didn't get what I needed on page one, I'm not going to page two. So what do you do? Don't you go back and re-query? Do, yeah. Don't yeah, you research. make an assumption that you, your query was wrong? That's right. Okay. Right. Welcome to dashboarding world. Yeah. Nobody's going to go down eight clicks looking for what... You know what they do? They go either this tool... Either they refurbish and they go backward to see, hmm, I clicked the wrong thing, or they simply go look at something else. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That, that That's really interesting. And so what happens when... Uh, let's go back to my analyst story. So my analyst says, I, I, re- I make these 20-page PDF reports with all these columns and numbers. My, my boss loves it. And my boss loves that every week he can go to this one number. And if I were to create a different product or a different dashboard, there's this word change, right? He's going to have to yes. change how he reads the report or interacts with the visualization. So how do you, how do you, how do you get organizations as a whole to sort of, I guess, change how they work and how do managers respond to what they're receiving from their from their from their the people who work for them and their clients. Okay, so I'm going to give you a pretty brutal answer first, then I'm going to give you a more realistic one. All right, everybody be prepared. So the, yeah. The brutal answer is that you let people know up front that if they don't change, you're not going to be around very long. Mm-hmm. And a matter of fact, clock them to 3 to 5 years. And let them know that if that is the mode that they plan to operate in, it's not acceptable anymore. Now, the realistic way to do it that we use is we find good use cases from competitors of where they're using analytics. You know, I hate to use another buzzword, but where they're using quote unquote dashboards and BI to transform their organization and what they're currently doing. Typically, when people start to see competition that's doing things, they get more engaged into, oh, really? 
oh, they have this, they have that. How can we change? Second of all, I have a piece of bait that we use as well. There's two pieces of baits in a mousetrap. The first piece of bait is mobility. Ah. Mobility is key. So I was speaking to an IBM executive this morning, John, right before I got on this uh, podcast. And he called, he told me, he said, Miko, don't forget about the lean in. And I said, what's that? He said, when you hand an executive an iPad with your data and they put their feet up, they sit back and they start paying attention to the data. Ah. Mobility will never fail. It enforces change because it's so attractive. The second thing that we find as good bait is geo-intelligence. Anytime, Google has done a lot of work for us, okay? You see those Google Maps? Uh-huh. We all use it. We all depend on it. Anytime you throw data on a map, people simply engage, right. okay? So there's the, if you're dealing with the most difficult user, one thing that you could do is think about those two elements and try to change the venue in which people consume their items, and that in itself can drive a different behavior. Oh, interesting. Yes, but again, don't say the word change. Don't say the word change. Yes. Lesson for Miko, everybody. Don't say the word change. <laughs> That's right. Although it is more than four letters, it's still four letters. It's, it becomes a four-letter word. In most people's <laughs> ears, what they hear is, oh, I don't want to curse on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep it clean. But, we'll keep but it I think, but what you're saying is when they hear the word change, they're hearing that, I, I'm guessing, right, that what they're hearing is what they've been doing for so long is wrong. Yes. And now they need to do something that's right. And that is a big lift for people. Yeah, and scientifically, if you want me to jump into it, do you know what dopamine is? Have you ever heard of dopamine? Right. Dopamine is the pleasure principle in our brain. Right. It has been proven that when we see stories, visual stuff, we get a release of dopamine that makes us feel great. When you say the word change, you have the opposite effect. Yeah. There's no dopamine. Right, right, right. The mind closes, right? So you got to think about, and words are important. That's why storytelling is important. You got to think about how you're saying it. So what we tend to do, again, is instead of focusing and beating people over the head, which is what we've seen fail of, you got to do this, we got to do that, we meet them where they are. Yeah. Everybody loves tablets. Everybody loves iPhone. Everybody, I don't know a single person who has not used Google Map. How do you get around? Right. Right? So let me meet you where you are. And why don't we start from there? Right. So that's kind of what we try to do. We try to meet people where they are, change the venue a little bit, go to somewhere that they're comfortable, and then draw them out versus saying you have to go and change this. Right. That manager that you have that's looking at the report, what about putting that on an iPad? He's not going to keep scrolling 20 pages on iPad, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So people are changing. They just don't know they're changing. Exactly. It's very tricky. Yes, it is. It's, it's like I'm on to you, Miko. But let me ask you, are yeah. you going to scroll 20 pages on an iPad? No. Absolutely not. Yeah. Right. So instead of, make, instead of telling you not to do it, I'm going to make it impossible for you to do it. And I'm going to force you to realize you only want two screens because you don't want to sit. Your fingers are going to get tired. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so, so I want to come back to the, I want to come back to the tablet uh, in, in a moment because I, I first want to ask you about the tools that you're using. Sure. Uh, when you're creating these dashboards. And I want to come back to the, to the tablet discussion and how the, the tools differ between sort of a desktop um, interface or a desktop experience versus the tablet experience. So what tools are you, uh, are you using or are you, I don't want to say promoting, but what are the main things that you're using to, uh, to uh, affect change uh, in organizations? So to be honest with you, we don't promote anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I Even though I run my company and I have a great team that I work with, I am an addict of visualizations. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a problem sometimes. <laughs> I am a Canva addict. What addict means is when I sit in a cab and I have a 30-minute ride, yeah. I open Canva and shut everything else off. <laughs> 
Okay, wow. so you have to understand. Yeah. I'm all, and what, what addict means is on the weekend when I think about relaxing, I open Canva and I start building. And you're just right. playing around. My second one is PictoChart. I love I love infographics, so I love PictoChart and info, and info.gram. Those okay. are amazing. But if you get into more, and I use those for for visualizing for black and white mockups, I love Tiger Mockup or Balsamic. And for those who are writing this down, it's Balsamic with a Q. And John, I'll give you all these notes. Great, we'll put them on. And the then for enterprise deployments, like people who want to now put it into interactive visualizations, which you can do in PictoChart. I we obviously do SAP. BI, yep. business objects, right? Yep. We have Lumera, Excelsis Design Studio. We also do Tableau and we do ClickTech. Wow. So you've got a whole, that's a, that's a whole library of things. It's a toy chest. Yeah, it's a toy yeah. chest. And presumably for each client, you're saying, these are the two things that you need and these are the two things or three things yes. that you guys need. Right. Yes, it is a bit of a toy chest. There is, I have to admit, I went and did a search, John, um, probably last week or week before, I found 150 BI tools. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And, and my guess would be that that number is an explosion over the last two or three years. Absolutely. Yeah. When Tableau started finally eating some market share in the BI realm, mm-hmm. everybody saw, everybody saw the, yeah. the, the, right. the, the rainbow. Yeah. So, that's, so that, now, now let's peel back a little bit to the tablet world. So do you see, I'm tool agnostic here, do you see uh, a difference in how people interact with dashboards or, th- or visualizations, but specifically with dashboards in the desktop world versus the tablet world? Absolutely. I mean, this is the thing, right? The great thing about a tablet is that it's always with you. Mm-hmm. And people not, don't only use it for, you know, they, there's, you, you have to admit that you, I don't know about you, I, I tend to leave my computer home. I just, it's, it's, it's not big. I have an ear, but it feels big because Apple has spoiled us. And so what do I walk with? the iPhone and, it, and my iPad, right, right? right? And that's my source. Now, what's on there is everything from my gym music to my running trail to, and guess what happens on there as well? My work does. Right. So what I tell people, you know, the desktop to me is kind of becoming a little bit of a dinosaur. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's this thing that you do at work versus the tablet is a thing that I do all the time. I watch movies. I talk to my kids. I check my data, right? right? I check my email. So I think that the experience that you see with tablets is that it's more fluid, Mm-hmm. versus where you have the computer, I open it and I'm doing this specific task. And I think that you get user adoption better because of that. It's a better experience. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, yeah. I, I suspect we're going to see more of that sort of an acceleration of those differences over the next, you know, five years or so. Well, they're in, in the industry for business intelligence right now, John, there is, and I've been pushing this for five years, granted, because I'm a Steve Jobs fan, there's a term called mobile first. Mm-hmm. So for those people who are currently building, the recommendation I have for them is the average tablet is anywhere between, I think, seven to 10 inches now. Is that, I think, the big something iPad like I have? Something like that. Yeah. I tell people, build mobile first. Uh, Don't yeah. build for desktop anymore. Anything right. that you build, make sure it fits and works on an iPad and desktop will take care of itself. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we're running out of time, but I want to I want to sure. flip very quickly to your uh, presentation uh, process and and uh, design because you're pretty sought after speaker. You've, as far as I can tell, you you're like the keynote or basically virtually every big BI conference on the planet and maybe other planets. I don't know. Um, but so I want to ask you uh, because I have another <laughs> podcast on presentation design and write about that. I want to ask you about your your design process when it comes to creating a, a presentation. Sure. So this is interesting because I think I even me I'm a little bit so so John I admire just so you know 
I truly appreciate this podcast because one of the things that I, when I started, I just want to find people that loved what I love. And I'm sure this podcast for you is a part of that. You just, it's so comforting when you find people that don't think it's weird to do Canva in a cab, Canva (laughs) at night, you know, people who care about ugly graphics versus pretty graphics, you know, you feel comfort. So, um, to get onto my presentation, uh, method, this is interesting. People think I spend the majority of the time making my slides pretty. Mm-hmm. And there is time spent on that. But do you know what I do, John? Very interesting. I am what you call a post-it, post-it addict. Wow. That means I, 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 can, I can outbeat you. I bet you don't have the, 20, the 22 by 22 or the 11 by 13s. I get those from Amazon. I, I don't have those. I do have the post-it note jumbo pack although i will say and i and i love the post-it notes we're talking right now i can see all the post-it notes on the wall behind you (laughs) yeah i love it although i will say i personally i'm an index card everybody knows this about me i'm a three by five i have two things people know about me i'm a big index card fan i'm a big lego fan uh index cards i love because i can take them with me so i can stack my slides right on my yes and i can put them in i can stack them up and i can take that deck with me and then i can go and do it other places but but but, are they adhesive but they are not adhesive because then i can't unstick them so so here's the here's the funny thing about this my best friends when it comes and i hope that your readers will take this i am addicted to what you see behind my head you guys can't see this which is called flip charts and post-its right because of the fluidity so what I do for my presentations is I typically think about how, how much time I have. And, you know, there's an equation. You know, there's 45 minutes is probably 15 slides, so on and so forth. So let's assume I have 30 minutes, 10 slides. I take the 10 slides and I apply the Steve Jobs rule where I know that the font has to be above 31. Mm-hmm. Okay. That means I only get so many words. Per post-it, I craft a single message. Yeah. Okay. Then I, and what I start with is a single word, then becomes a message. Then on my flip chart, I rearrange it until I get the order. Right. And then I draw the picture to meet the message. Yeah, that's great. That's a, that's a great process. It's the exact process people I think people should be using, which is... Yes. For me, it's start analog. When you're yes. done with analog, then you go digital. For me, it's write the Carmine Gallo thing of Twitter-like headlines on each post-it note or each card, stack yes. them together, and then eventually you get into the digital world. Well, have you heard of design thinking, John? Because I recommend it to everybody. Um, in SAP, there's a Hustle School of Design Thinking at Stanford. I did it when it first came out, but it's offered all over now. For those people who are hearing this podcast and want to make a leap jump, I highly recommend that they like one or two day events and they're all over the country and world mm-hmm. now attending a design thinking course. Awesome. Well, we're yes. gonna, I'm going to link to it on the site so people can do it. Absolutely amazing. And the universities all over offer it. You could do it at night too. Great. Miko, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. No, this is awesome. Thank you, John. Uh, I hope your readers got something out of this. I hope so. I'm sure they did. And I look forward to uh, coming down to Atlanta to get my hug. Absolutely. And tell um, Alberto and Rob Simon, I said, hi, I really love the podcast myself. I told you that before I got on that I had a great time um, with Alberto and and Rob's podcast. Learned a lot. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, It's been great. And thanks to everyone for listening. Again, if you have questions or comments, please let me know. And I'm John Twabish, and this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.